0: about the craze, sweeping to LA. Cobra, 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 cobra. Do you want to do this dance i can put you in a cobra, 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 cobra. hi everyone welcome to waste fellows um, today i have with me someone who i've wanted on the podcast for a while um Adwet, a writer and music blogger from mumbai Um, So, yeah. Hi, Edweth. Welcome to Waste Fellows.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you, like, how's your quarantine going?
1: Um, I I don't want to say it's been going well, uh, but it has been one year uh, of quarantine for me. Actually, 14th of March is the day we were advised to stay at home for the first time. Um, I'm in Brooklyn right now, so by the local government here. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it has been an interesting 12 months Uh, I'm sure everyone's been um, you know uh, have gone through gone through a lot Um, so yeah just wishing everyone uh, well out there
0: so you were around during like the homosexual pandemic of New York
1: yeah uh, you know I saw the highs of it which was um, bloggers uh, praising him for doing nothing um, and then six months later, um, the same people sort of pointing um, fingers at him, uh, which they should have done uh, many years ago. Uh, but um, as you know, the media is quite late on a lot of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Um,
0: are you, do you Are you a part of the media still?
1: Uh, I, I am a non-essential media worker, um, I guess, if I have to classify myself right <laughs> now. Um, yeah, that's what I am. I am uh, not... Um, I'm not, both my feet aren't in the media right now, but um, I'm a non-essential media worker.
0: Um, aren't we all, aren't we all? Um, so I've always wanted to do an episode talking about um, the local South Asian music scene, for lack of a better word, um, and really talk about, you know, the evolution of artists, labels, festivals, etc. Et across et the subcontinent. Um, and I've wanted to have you, for this reason, on the podcast for a while, but I also don't want to oversell like the thematic jive of this podcast because it might just devolve into us like talking shit about artists we don't like <laughs> so um so yeah so I guess the first question I wanted to ask you um I've read a fair bit of your work I think the first time I found you was through um what you would write around 2014-2015 because I was looking for people who were sort of documenting um independent music like non-film music Um, across India and Pakistan, which are the two countries I was interested in at the time. Um, And yeah, I'm really curious about your own journey. So the first question I wanted to ask you is, uh, what was your first experience as a a blogger or a journalist covering the Indian music scene? And like, what really triggered or captured your interest at the start? Like when?
1: Yeah, so 2014, 2015 was, I think... um I was uh, a few years out of college. Um, I guess the indie music scene, um, I was introduced to, I would say, maybe when I was in class 10, class 9. I had a lot of um, interesting classmates who were sort of playing guitar, learning guitar on the side. They were learning how to drum. Um, I had zero hand-eye coordination, so I was usually just listening to them and I would be in the room and just, you know, headbanging. and yeah, that's where I sort of was introduced to a lot of, uh, local stuff because, uh, my, fr- my friends w- were being taught by local teachers in Pune and Bombay. And those local teachers were a part of local bands who sort of, you know, they played the college circuit. They played sort of, um, a couple of wedding shows, uh, you know, a couple of private parties. So I was introduced to an entire world. Um, I was probably listening to a lot of, uh, doors and, um, what's another band probably like Metallica kind of situation back then. Uh-huh. Um, I was over Britney Spears and NSYNC, um, finally got over that little pop phase, which was, is, which is very still dear to me. Um, yeah. but I'd moved into like a, a Jim Morrison doors, Nirvana kind of situation, Pink Floyd. And then all of a sudden, um, I was introduced to like, uh, an entire scene of people playing music, uh, in India. So that's what started it. Um, I started paying attention to then MySpace, Reverb Nation, Mm-hmm. Um, i think f- facebook was not i think facebook came around twenty two thousand and seven for me uh but yeah so that 's that 's where the journey started and then i think uh a big big uh milestone w- for me was a, again i 'm a little muddy with the dates, but I went to strawberry fields in n l s Bangalore mm-hmm. which was kind of uh i would say uh, at that point of time uh one of bangalore 's biggest uh college shows um again uh went there because a friend a classmate's brother was among the finalists, so you know uh, that's how I was introduced to it. go there, show up. There are six bands uh there's a metal act, a rock act. um you know there are guys on stage, there are girls on stage it's it's uh, it's it's a it's a big scene um and I remember it was uh Shruti Hassan's band, uh, the Extra mentals who uh, were the headliners that evening, um who I will not speak on yeah. but uh, <laughs> that's that was a big show for me, and that sort of triggered. Uh, I think uh, countless summers and uh, evenings of like, just going to like different college shows and different sort of um, these one-off shows. Cause I, I mean, I, I went to school in Pune. So the Pune college circuit was considerably smaller than say a Delhi or a Bombay or a Bangalore or a Chennai for that matter. Um, but yeah, we, we had fun in Pune um, and that's where it all started. Uh, finished college in Pune and then went to Bombay in search of work um, and started blogging about music because um yeah, there were a few of us, I would say, 10 or 12 usual suspects. We would always meet at gigs. Um, and eventually we just uh, started writing about the shows we went to and the music we heard.
0: So it seems like you, I mean, obviously, because the electronic scene is relatively new, but it, it you were part of like the, the rock, the independent rock um, group. And that was your sort of exposure to independent music in in India um, and then, at what point did that change? Did you start seeing because I know that um, things like Battle of the Bands and um, I think MTV had also captured this, uh, you know, youth interest in rock, um, and it had, it had, funnily enough, it had replaced pop because before we had groups like Viva that were being formed through reality TV shows. Now it was like college rock that was taking center stage in the country. Um, so, when did you see that shift? Um, from rock to which was I feel like more um, yeah like more a little more organized just in the sense that it wasn't these just like disparate electronic producers in the country making stuff with their equipment Um, it didn't tell people coming together and like large-scale gigs like when did that change like electronic which is where I feel like the pulse of the independent and and, like hip-hop which is another track but like yeah I feel like it shifted would you agree? from rock to uh, defin-
1: yeah De- definitely and then you also had a very good touch point, like viva and like that sort of pop revolution uh-huh. which was um uh bubbled up so i would say the thing about electronic music again like i get very um sort of wound up when it comes to genres but if you look at it um on a very uh sort of a, a macro lens electronic music exists everywhere right like you have engineers um recording um the rock musicians as well you have uh, people sort of mastering engineers and producers who work with rock musicians as well um, especially in Bollywood as well so that electric uh, scene I think uh, to be honest I was very young so I didn't really go to the you know um, to the the, the clubs quote unquote but I remember Jalebi Cartel was kind of one of the first um, electronic uh, group or bands uh, outside of the whole Goa scene which was kind of a mythical lore for me growing up in Pune and having um, sort of grandparents and Karwar and near Goa. That Gopera was like
0: techno trance.
1: Yeah, so that was a, that. That was yeah. a completely uh, mythic scene. I did not go to Goa until I was, uh, I think. 19 or 20 years old by myself um so that was i was completely unaware of that but um Jelly b cartel was kind of an introduction because they came down to pune to do a couple of college shows and then uh, further reading sort of uh, connecting the dots like delhi uh, were a few steps ahead um in terms of using laptops and g- machines and gears and putting up sound systems and speakers and sort of putting on these um big parties you had uh the medieval pundits uh crew yeah. and who were sort of associated a lot with uh talveen singh and the asian underground um who guys who sort of got their start in like the mid uh, to late 80s um so they had that uh, connection which was really strong talveen singh knew the uh, medieval pundits guys and they sort of linked up early on in the 90s and uh, worked on a few things and sort of put together parties um to be very honest delhi Again, there was Bhavish sound system, but me not being from there, I really do not know what they were up to. Um, there's an RBMA lecture on YouTube, which I think is a good primer on their history. You know, the yeah. three of them are talking about their lives. Um, but yeah, those guys, um, I can say were doing stuff in Delhi back then uh again just uh, three kids who had gone out of india for a while they came back um you know Ashim went to film school i think devra went somewhere to the uk i i'm not uh, mangeshkar the third guy was a designer grandmother india so again they just brought back three different types of things you know this guy got back sounds from new york um this guy got back jungle grime from the uk and they came here uh started playing those parties um and again back then the, the kids who were teenagers uh, or in their early 20s um in the late 80s 90s are sort of people who carried um again i don't like re- using the word scene but um they carried that forward um into the sort of uh late 90s and early 2000s yeah um, when you have someone like nuclear popping up
0: yeah so i think i think what's funny is that um i i i feel like i um was going up at the cusp and when I said electronic I knew I know that like medieval pundits were around and there was I was just referring to like the new like the the relatively recent electronic which I want to get into later but with the you know the the growth spurt of like labels across the subcontinent I feel like it's electronic music and I know that's a very catch-all generic term because there's so many genres that that exists within the subcontinent. But I've just noticed, like, that that seems to be what connects the subcontinent in terms of the music that's being produced right now. Um, it's be- different interpretations of electronic, but it's not like rock bands anymore, you know? Um, but I, sorry, to just go, to go back to my point, it's like, I feel like I was growing up when there was, like, um, I remember just, like, hating Junkyard Groove. I remember there being, like, a folk like, a folk rock revival when I was, like, 13, 14. There was Junkyard Brew, there was Jagu uh, Project. Um, And it just, it really bugged me. Um, It, yeah, I remember being violently against the music that was popular at the time. Someone who's, like, a very young teenage consumer of, like, Rolling Stone India and a lot of, like, Indian blogs um, around music. I, yeah, I just remember... Uh, which is why I went around 2014, no, not 2014, I was 19 then. In like 2010, when I was fifteen, fourteen, fifteen, I heard um, Mushimu, the Pakistani label, for, uh, for the first time. And I downloaded songs up there and that really felt like, wow, this is something new. Before then, I felt like I was maybe just so um overexposed to you know rolling stone india was promoting like junkyard and like bands like men who pause and like star bands and just like, reggae bands like things that just had zero interest in um yeah
1: yeah i mean you're definitely right um i guess there was uh, hard to pinpoint sort of uh, a time but there was a point where sort of the electronic um um scenes kind of outgrew the rock uh, scene in terms of pace but uh, you're absolutely right like early on even when um i guess a lot of these guys uh mushimu particularly or even nuclear, nuclear is again people uh, know nuclear as like sort of this um big uh, pop producer right now but again he he, he goes back with Mayor a long way and mm-hmm. uh, at the time it's partly again it's partly us to blame which is again i'm saying us as then like the bloggers and people who had the power to write is uh they weren't really paying attention to a lot of these things that were happening right like they weren't pay, pay, paying attention to like the myspace and so Sound, not soundcloud back then but like these um left field producers trying to sort of um use fusion music or do new things like they were sort of fixated like you said on like the ragudekshits and um, the swaratma as and the uh,
0: middle aged were...
1: <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> the again Sydney it was middle aged slabs yeah and uh, yeah i mean we can you know hindsight is 2020 20, so we can yeah. go back and sort of uh, critique every way like how sort of the video content uh, for tv and internet was made or what like the mainstream press were covering or what um sort of the big uh, festivals were booking so uh-huh. of course it was um, as you said it was uh, the attention was definitely Uh, not, I would not say biased, but uh, more focused on a particular kind uh, of music that was coming out, which was Uh, like you said, like the the anthemic rock groups. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like, uh, yes, in those years, in like the mid-2010s, definitely there were a lot of, there's a lot of uh, music that got buried, um, you know, just um, in sort of unread emails or like unresponded emails that, you know, people never got back to or people didn't feel covering.
0: Yeah, um, and I'm wondering when that... um... I feel, like the, I feel like obviously now the music of the of our time is hip-hop in India. Um, but I wonder to what extent that could count as independent considering how quickly it seems to be getting absorbed into the Bollywood fold. So then it kind of has this existence that is both in and out of the mainstream music slash film industry. Um, so I, I want to talk about that. But first, I really want to talk about like when... Uh, did electronic music really you know as you said like the pace when did the it when did it become something there's a loud volume of artists and when did people start noticing like these cross cultural connections between pakistan india bangladesh nepal all of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: um so yeah mushimu comes to mind first i think uh, reem and um Sharyar, they were sort of i think they were really ahead of the game 2006 um uh, again, they have a rich lineage. Uh, a lot of artists um, in that family of friends. A lot of musicians in that family of friends. Um, a couple of uh, people went to RBMA. Again, that sort of outside influence coming back. Uh, so they 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 had their little uh, camp going on there. Uh, in India, I would say again, I use Nuclear as a benchmark because I've seen Nuclear do a 2 p.m. Uh, show at a festival where he he literally opens the festival at 2 p.m. and there are maybe 20 people uh, in the lawn, um, as opposed to two years down the line where I've seen him close the same festival with um, X thousand of people at the wow. lawn. Um, so that is, again, uh, just a contrast of the same artist two years down the road. Um, uh, the Reggae Rajas uh, in Delhi, uh, Dualist Inquiry. I still remember, um, I, I did a, a very short-lived podcast in 2011, which was a total of three episodes. Um, one of them was Duelist Listen Inquiry, who I interviewed, and I still remember listening to Gravitat uh, when it when was it 2010 2011. Uh, it blew my mind. It was you know it was like a rock guitar band, uh, something like a Ratatat, uh, but coming out of a dude from Delhi uh, who also used a Fender Telecaster Um, etc, etc. I was young back then and quickly I was, you know, enamored by these stupid things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that song, uh, you know, it really blew my mind back then. Uh, It still does today. Um, Not his new stuff, but Gravitat I listen to, I still enjoy it. Um, So, yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, um, no, please continue. I'm just really curious about when, I just want to, I think, talk about like what the contemporary electronic scene, the differences between what was going on then, say, in like the early 2000s um, and how it's sort of grown and sprung across South Asia.
1: Sure. So yeah, I think early 2000s, it was really fractured, right? Like um, Delhi, the people in Delhi were aware of Reggae Raja's Dualist Inquiry, four or five other DJs, and then they would not know what was happening in Bombay. Um, I think, again, my dates are muddy, but uh, Wild City came into the fold, uh, you know, in the middle. Um, There were a lot of, of course, uh, promoters who, you know, are the usual suspects, you can do your Googles, I'm not going to name them. But they were sort of bringing across DJs, you know, for, uh, and doing sort of touring DJs across the cities. So that was that was sort of opening up the market. Um, and I think uh, the the biggest sort of draw is these big festivals, right? Like your Sunburns, um, even your Tomorrowland, like, I would say that Tomorrowland, just by that just of that YouTube montage of Tomorrowland has done, like, wonders for an Indian audience.
0: <laughs> and when was by- Tomorrowland <laughs> founded and by
1: who? Oh, I don't know. Tomorrowland is like some it's like a it's like the uh I would say like the pinnacle of like electro festival in Belgium. It's like as bench uh as sort of catch all mainstream as it gets, and you know, 150 artists. Yeah, yeah. And
0: so that an Indian artist like a nuclear a duelist
1: inquiry found um well they didn't find it but sunburn was happening sunburn was still more you know your tiestos and your big name artists your dead mouse tiestos mm-hmm. so i mean people going to that and watching tomorrowland and finding out that okay there's a guy called uh, Duelist inquiry who plays a similar kind of electro music like putting these three things together is what sort of uh, i would say opened up uh, club audiences in india but again, I am very muddy on the history with Sunburn and stuff. Like, I've never been to one of those festivals. Um, but again, like pe- I know people who would travel from all over the country, uh, people who would travel from outside the country. Um, and Sunburn had become a, a, a big cult, uh, at one point in time, especially when we were in college. Um, and again, if you're aware of the history, there was a falling out and there was a faction that defected from Sunburn. Um, and again, like, you have Nikhil Chinapa there as well, who is a big figurehead in the DJ, VJ uh, scene. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a very intricate, complicated history. Um, but I think, like, all of these uh, people have played a, a big part in it.
0: Yeah, um, and it's interesting that um, then I feel like the music was more um, uh, mainstream electronic. Um, but I feel like now... Um, At least with labels like Forever South or collective, more collectives, not really labels. But I feel like in the contemporary version of like what's going on in this country, it feels like the electronic artists do have a more like off-kilter experimental um, approach. And also but also it just seems like as a result they're not as successful. It feels like they're struggling way more. And that might just also be because I feel like the economics of the music industry have uh, have become so unstable for artists from then to now. I think I just feel like it's getting worse. Um, so it might just be because of that. But yeah, I just feel like the electronic music being produced now is so different from like what I remember listening to doing this inquiry
1: absolutely agree um uh, yeah i think the learning curve has been far steeper because um that that rock band dynamic couldn't sustain itself in india even in pakistan for that matter um uh, the other sort of countries I'm not that uh, well uh, versed with, but the rock bands couldn't sustain themselves, right? Like at the end of the day, like you, how many records uh, are you going to sell or how much merch are you are you going to sell or how many shows are you going to uh, tour to sort of uh, pay the bills, which was becoming very, very unsustainable for a lot of people. Um, you know, I think mean, Sahil Makija, Demon Stealer, is a very uh, knowledgeable resource there. I think, you know, if you guys read up, Uh, some of the stuff he writes about sort of being a musician that is helpful but like you said the electronic guys uh, and girls i think they really they, they they um really went off on their own you know it was uh they had the power to sort of do their homework and do their research and study what they had to study and the output as you can see is like you said it's Uh, you have uh, a ridiculously talented pool of producers um, everywhere scattered. You know, there are Karachi, Islamabad, uh, Dhaka. uh, There are people in Colombo. um, There are people in Afghanistan and Nepal, um, not to mention littered all over India. And I think it just boils down to the fact that you um, know very uh, sort of uh, boilerplate answer but yes they had more time to research they had uh more sort of uh, knowledge at their hands whether it's books or it's internet or it's just general sort of a uh, friend circle to sort of share ideas with um, and I think that really um, was um, a key factor in sort of like you said like bringing in a very good sound.
0: Do you think that, that that I also think this has to do with like the digitization of music in general? I feel like now people, I don't know, like the way that you can break down a song now, advancements in like music technology and um, the fact that you know, producing music producing is becoming something that you know, through um, so, what, what would you call them, like what are those things that people go like incubators and all of these things mm, like, you labs, know, labs, right? Um, I love that I of incubators but not labs (laughs) Uh, but uh so i i just think that yeah like i think producing is becoming a more respected field and people are sort of now getting the time to really iron out and figure out what their unique sound is and that's so right it's been it's a, and that's why it's seen that i feel like it hasn't exploded i wouldn't call it an explosion i feel like it's been steadily growing um yes yeah
1: and also, again, like the the, the other side is um, uh, just to take a very small example, but like the advertising industry and say your metros, right, like Bombay, Delhi, Bangalore, Chennai, like they need musicians, too. So earlier, they would have like a, a boilerplate set of, okay, these are like, you know, 10 uh, people we go to for these kind of moody ads. But now, um, if there's like a younger creative and an ad agency or some kind of creative job, that person knows that, okay, there are like 15 other people on SoundCloud who are just as interesting and just as creative and uh, are just as innovative, uh, what we are looking for. So it's it's kind of like, you know, it's um, it, it's it goes both ways. Like, Sure, you're seeing like the music side of it as well. Uh, but we will also eventually see this, uh, creep and sound design for ads, uh, background scores for movies. Um, you know, um, I hope it sort of goes offline as well into like installations when, you know, things are safe, uh, to do that. But, uh, definitely it's, it has been very encouraging. Uh, and like you said, I would say last five or six years, um, just like seeing, new names pop up uh, is very, very heartening.
0: And what would you just, I roughly want to talk about the, the economics of the scene. So um, it seems to me that a lot of these, that really isn't like a fully formed label, or I think maybe with the exception of Azadi Records, uh, that covers mostly like emerging hip hop acts from like North India. Um, like, I, I don't think that anyone has the machinery or the institutional support to really, give give music producers that kind of support so it does feel very decentralized um and something that exists purely as a creator support network um or some kind of digital distribution network but not really something that and i it's it's i mean when i was reading up on what's happening across south asia i feel like People in, like, if people in Pakistan, like, producers in Pakistan are like, damn, like, we don't have what's in India. Um, producers in Kathmandu are like, damn, we don't have what's in Pakistan and India. Producers in Dhaka are like, damn, we don't have what they have in Pakistan, India, and Nepal. Like, everyone is just, kind, like, I feel like um, everyone is just wanting for more support and in institutional, I don't know, like, um, so how would you describe where it's at right now in terms of how musicians are able to sustain their practice and how these labels have formed to sort of help them. Mm-hmm.
1: So Maya, yeah, my institutional knowledge of record labels, sort of how they work and how they function is very minimal, but yes, Azadi, uh, IC has been going strong for a while. Um, again, they're in good hands uh, and they're good people. Uh, but just to give you a perspective, like I've been in Brooklyn for like three years and even here um, sort of at the same level, Uh, of, um, sort of professionalism that we speak of in India. It's, it's rough. It's not the, it's not, um, uh, it's not a cakewalk here as well you know yeah. like uh, people mostly sort of make their living through touring which uh, agreed uh, places like New York uh, have a far better touring circuit than say a Bombay but that is a separate story but even now that the touring is sort of um, uh, shuttered like maybe summer we'll see something but uh, on the record label side again like the artists are using sort of um, the, the, they're going like uh, again is i'm not sure if this is a pure independent band but using services like bandcamp and going um straight to sort of uh, a distributor using DistroGid, uh pressing their own vinyl um, and sort of going that route um and uh, figuring out themselves and yes you do see um you, you do see success coming from it there are uh, artists who share Uh, how and what they do and sort of how they uh, game plan for their releases, uh, which is good. Um, But in India, yeah, uh, again, the the business side of it is something that, uh, again, I do not know much of and do not know how it works. But uh, you do not see a sort of a big consolidation happening, um, like you mentioned in rap. There is Mass Appeal who have got a couple of guys. Uh, I know there are smaller sort of factions and producer label uh, collectives and labels um, consolidate in Bangalore. Sort of Rahul Giri, who um, you know everyone must give their flowers to. Mm-hmm. Fantastic guy. He's been doing it for a very really long time. He has um, really helped a lot of people also. So uh, there are places um, smaller sort of. I know uh, Bilal Rudy in uh pakistan has just also started a new uh his label i uh, i think it's called jugad label jugad records
0: like jugad um, like
1: jugad records yeah
0: um that's a very delhi word that's like like hustle Yeah. Like hustle yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there are there, there are definitely a lot of these small teams um, that have gained. Um, of course, there's Crunk in Bombay who've been around uh, for a while as well. So there are a lot of these um, teams that have solidified and they do good work. But there is not like there is no overarching sort of committee or like a union um, that's a uh, union. That's another thing that, you know, you guys should look at. Like, you know, now uh, musicians are fighting for a union artists union here. So there's is there there is no larger movement per se in India. Um, again, I do not know why. Uh, it's, maybe it's I, uh, not
0: needed. Uh, I, I, I really feel like a lot of it has to do with just um, the Bollywood blockade. But I think the way that Bollywood determines taste and Bollywood and the complete monopoly they have over like a T-series has um, over like music distribution. I just feel like I wonder how much like the taste and sensibilities of Bollywood just prevent artists from being able to grow. Maybe that's just a very North Indian dance. I mean, commercial film music at large, not just Bollywood. Um.
1: No, that is true. But um, I think there's, like, Bollywood also needs, like, 20 sessions musicians every day, right? Like, if you look at some guy like, uh, look at Warren or Jairo Kavi, these guys are sort of like Bombay rock staples. Again, I'm, like, four years removed, so I don't know what they're doing now. But they've, like, uh, they've um, done sessions for Vishal Dadlani and the likes of that. So, um when sort of I think it's just uh, like we're waiting for the time where sort of uh, like we erase these labels of like left field, indie, mainstream and sort of just, you know, keep it down to pure taste. I I, I don't know if I'm making sense. No, you are. um, are. um, Yeah, I think it's, it's again, it'll take time. Like, you know, it's taken about 15, 20 years. Uh, for these kids to sort of find a voice from themselves and make really, really interesting music. And maybe it'll take another five or ten years to sort of um them to mature and um find their space in again, quote unquote, the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe uh, I am completely wrong and things go in a different direction.
0: I, I'm not but... yeah, I am not sure. I feel like I feel like um Bollywood has its own um, like engine of robots to mm-hmm. um and like influencer robots to supply them with music i mean i, I mean i have nothing to do with the music industries so like artists like prateek who heard or whatever like i feel like they will be the ones it's like more people like that um the parek whatever that goodview brothers group i feel like it's like i don't know just like fundamentally kind of blah music like that that's going to take over i'm not sure how much some producers associated with consolidate would even want to like um have like a bollywood celebrity tweet out their songs um mm-hmm. I don't think I don't know if that's even like a metric of validation they're looking for but I generally do worry about um independent music creators uh from just from my perspective I feel like sort of indie music is is in trouble um mainly because I if if artists earn money from touring, then like what are the touring opportunities in the subcontinent? Especially, you can't travel between locations in the subcontinent as easily because of you no know, geopolitical issues. Um, which is what I found is interesting, as an aside, that part of the reason why um, like obviously Kathmandu has a great group of um, artists um a, a local group of artists, but it's also turning out to be a place where Indian and Pakistani artists go because they can't go to each other's countries, so they go to Kathmandu to interact. Um and and I find that a sort of like triangulation of um of, of of like talent really interesting that you have suddenly you have like Nepalese, Indian and Pakistani artists coming together and it's purely just because, you know, Indian and Pakistanis can't interact freely. Um
1: Absolutely, and again, um, again, props to Border Movement. They've done a couple of these um labs. I think in Sri Lanka, uh, Bangladesh as well. So they um, um, I think the Max Miller Bhavan also in uh, Bombay has had uh, uh, something similar. But yeah, you're right. You know, um, again, there are like so many layers to. Uh, you know, the different types of privileges and the restrictions and sort of the monetary and financial aspects of it all that it does become a headache, especially, you know, again, for a simple thing like to book a tour, Uh, if you if you're thinking of doing three cities in India, and two outside or three outside somewhere that that is a very big headache which uh someone on a regular day will simply avoid um and not even bother about and that's where we get stuck
0: yeah I mean I find it encouraging that like an artist like Bifafa seems to have really broken out um I find that really encouraging um and I remember a friend going to a gig affair recently and just saying that you know like the the idea that Lefafa was one of those artists we would listen to and that nobody else knew about like this is like probably the last time this is ever going to happen because it's just packed full of people like that time is over you know like he's made it and made it and how um, same with the band um, Peter Cat. so I think I find stories like that really be encouraging um, I just don't I think I think I just I, I think in in my mind I just worry that if if people aren't able to ally themselves with either, like, brands or, like, sponsorships, in which case they have to play music that uh, can track in, like, large groups. Like, it's very, like, techno house, like, dance music type. Um, or if they aren't able to, you know, somehow become part of the Bollywood fold, like, Ritwiz or Pratik Kohard or whatever, and, like, do scores for shows like little things or whatever. Part of, like, the the audiovisual industry, like, we'll just... There won't be a net, like. There won't be a way that they can sustain themselves. Um, I just feel like these two have hold over what survives and what doesn't. Like brand sponsorships and then money that's coming in from the film industry.
1: Yeah, um, I mean the brand sponsorship is also dicey, right? Like, um, like last week, uh, Madlib, uh, who is one of my favorite producers, and Kait Ranada, who is also uh, I love. Yeah. Like they were in a Lexus ad, um, so I, I'm not going to blame them for doing it. But it's like okay i've seen them in a lexus ad maybe once in 10 years or once in five years whatever and they're uh, and i'm pretty sure your favorite musician uh does uh, a brand ad once in a while oh, which you may
0: exactly but the
1: thing but yeah. the thing about um, again like our market is then uh, for a uh, madlib to do one ad in say 10 years that's okay for him but someone like a producer in India would probably have to do six or seven brand sponsors just to sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. buy uh, two pieces of gear and um, a year's worth of rent, as opposed to uh, someone like uh, a different musician who they have the choice uh, whether or not to do it. So again, it's, it's yeah, yeah, like you said, the market dictates um, its people on both ends. It's the creatives and the business people. Um, It's not, uh, you know, you can't really... um, you you can't advocate for one or the other at the end of the day. If you're looking at big brands like RBM Red Bull Music Academy shut down now. Um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it yeah. was you know it was Red Bull uh, the world's biggest energy drink, but it was also a very um, a good source of you know print and audiovisual uh, uh, resources and knowledge. Yeah. So, uh you know, it's it's a very fine line. Um, and again, we're talking about sort of musicians evolving and the arts and creators evolving. Um, there has to be some innovation on the business side as well. Like, uh, I don't think Spotify, which pays, um, you know, uh, X hundredth or thousandth of a cent per stream, is the answer. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, it it's a two way street. And funnily uh, enough,
0: it, that's, that's, that segues perfectly into the NFT discussion, <laughs> um, which. A listeners a that we talk about but before that i wanted to ask you who is the biggest menace or like what is the biggest menace in uh, the the music scene quote-unquote according to you
1: like general music scene all over? yeah
0: no just okay. in the subcontinent
1: oh um, in the subcontinent
0: yeah like what is the biggest menace that you oh, think biggest
1: is- menace i don't know like com or whatever <laughs> what are those guys are called um, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I hope I'm not being too mean. If someone, no, I mean, that's like, um, yeah, I'm I, sorry, uh, <laughs> but I yeah, mean, I don't know, man. No one's a menace, like, uh, just like treat people nice. I like, and I feel
0: like, I, my answer, you're, you're so worried about being mean, but my answer
1: to that would be like Raja Kumari. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, she's beyond menace, like, she, I don't even consider her part of the scene, like, she's like, that, like I, I she doesn't exist for me i don't know who that is like who is that um, um <laughs> but yeah like the biggest menace is like if you're hiring someone pay them on time uh, and respect everyone's time that's it like don't be you don't it's, be the menace it's
0: the biggest menace like menaces are the sectors dis-
1: yeah it's you yeah. it's us it's yeah. me and you <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh
0: so i wanted to um is there anything else you want to talk about to like close this discussion or we can come back to it later after talking about NFTs. Because no, you know, not.
1: Re- I mean, yeah. we had like a good, I don't know, roundabout of a bunch of things.
0: Yeah, I always worry. I um that you know people will accuse this podcast of doing a hegemony by mm-hmm. talking so much about India and not talking enough about other countries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I think I think that you know other. I would say overall that what the problems that are um. The, the problems are being experienced by all the countries, just in different degrees. But when I was looking into artists and collectives across, like they were complaining about the same things about mm-hmm. you know the lack of resources and opportunities in their countries, and how they had to navigate so many cultural and political barriers to make things that are so easy in Western countries for them to do. Uh, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. in Bangladesh, in like a Dhaka, artist was talking about how like uh, they don't allow um, uh, export of audio tapes. Um, in Bangladesh, like they don't allow like audio cassettes, uh, because they're afraid that people release like uh, someone will leak state secrets through audio cassettes. So, like someone in India can't buy a Bangladeshi audio cassette. And another thing is that things like PayPal, um just um, are are like uh, banned in Dhaka. I mean, not banned, but it's it's impossible to use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what the PayPal scene is like in India. Um. But yeah, it just feels like there's so many. Um, it just, it, it just, it just feels like um, it's it, there's this hostile environments. But I almost feel like that's maybe why. Um, at least I felt like the reason why I like the music in Pakistan so much when I was growing up is because I felt like these producers truly. Like the first time I felt like I'm listening to something I've never heard before is when I heard just like EPs of Mushi Moo, and then when I heard like Karachi Detour Rampage, and then going on to that the artists of Forever South it's the till then I always found Indian artists a bit lacking like I was I was always like they don't have like a vision that I feel like is truly unique they always there's always something that feels like an imitation to me and obviously like I was responding to something that was off my time like when I go back and listen to like medieval pundits I'm like oh this is really cool but I'm just to like what was in front of me at that point in time which was very like um everything felt like a Pink Floyd cover band
1: Um, (laughs) yeah no no even i'm like i'm still i'm biased as well and i mean like like slow spin for example like i am yet to hear anything like slow spin from I'm, okay I'm, I mean I'm, I don't want to exaggerate but I have yet to hear anything like Slosman from like a while like that that, yeah. that stuff is like Finally, really yeah. really beautiful
0: when I heard the Honor he Tricks, Point Never the new album I was like this reminds me of stuff Knox Nox from Pakistan from Karachi was doing yeah exactly um, in like in like 2014 like these people like if they were given like the support to fully produce albums and to get that like they'd be doing crazy stuff it just seems like all of them at this point a little burnt out to being able to sustain a collective or whatever in pakistan everyone seems like they've dispersed now nah, focusing on their own craft but yeah it's just it was it was in like what was going on at that time was really exciting um and i think consolidate um there's something similar happening with consolidate right now i feel um in, in an artist i would recommend is like fat Cowley from kathmandu like mm-hmm. um is it, is so brilliant it's like this really soulful it's kind of like what Pratik gohar wants wishes he was is when i see fatali <laughs> and then um also i don't know if i'm pronouncing their name right but shaji, shaji from pakistan yep yep um yep. i think they're from islamabad but um or lahore uh, i don't remember but, um, mm-hmm. like, uh, I see Fab Cowley and, like, and Shadi like, if they came together, they'd do something so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, there's so many artists that I feel like were taking, were taking, like, so many influences and making something that felt truly South Asian. Where I felt like in India up until that point, everything mm-hmm. I heard felt like uh, a translation of the West to um, something that's Indian rather than really creating something that is original.
1: Yeah, that's definitely, a, yeah, that's definitely a fair point, you know. Um, but yeah, like you said, like, um, consolidate. And um, I remember there's a, a group from Bombay called Jwala. Um, yeah. Who are also, you know, again, like uh, six or seven people, quite young doing, I mean, I, I, I know they're, not, they're not young anymore. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're grown now. Uh, but again, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, that burnout comes quick uh, for a lot of people. Uh, which is unfortunate. And I don't want to say it comes uh, quick only for sort of like Indians or Pakistanis or, you know, people, uh, a bus back home. It it comes to people everywhere. Um, And it's, you know, it's the, the sort of the same um, artist musician uh, grind is it's a similar path. Uh, But yes, the support systems, the sort of general infrastructure, the lending hands, Uh, I would say, are quite discouraging. Um, And, you know, it it, it can take uh, an effect on your sort of um, health in all ways, you know, physical health, mental health, uh, long-term, short-term. So definitely, um, you know, um, things should look, uh, we should look uh, for things uh, to move forward in that aspect.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, NFTs are being championed right now (laughs) as ways to really um, empower the artist with Uh control. (laughs) Um, and I didn't want to get into it because I think I think they're so I think they're so funny and interesting. Um, so the first time I heard about NFTs and I just my eyes glazed over uh, was when Azalea Banks, um, one of my favorite musical artists and celebrities of all time, um, mm-hmm. pub, like sold um, her audio sex tape with her boyfriend for like seventeen thousand dollars, and then the person who uh, as an nft um and then the person who bought that sex tape from her is selling it for like 200 million dollars or something is valuing it that much i don't think it's going to be sold and that's when nfts came into my uh, sort of like vision mm-hmm. um like sort of like whatever my um, consciousness um mm-hmm. and yeah like how would you in simple words describe an nft
1: Okay, so uh, if you are well-versed in this subject and listen to this, please don't come Don't
0: worry, people from finance don't listen to this podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So they are basically a digital imprint of a particular artwork. So say uh, the uh, Azealia Banks uh, audio tape, Uh, you... (laughs) If you purchase the NFT, you, you own that one of one copy, which is everyone in the world can see, which is uh, on display on public display on the Internet, uh, on a blockchain, I believe. Again, don't come at me for facts, but you own sort of the exclusive rights to this one of one artwork, uh-huh. uh, which is kind of supposed to be the sort of the bragging rights uh, for the inflated value of that piece. Um, that is my simple understanding of it. Uh, yeah. To be very honest, I have not and I'm trying not I because of my day job, I pay attention to it. But I am actively not trying to um, sink my teeth into it because I feel like you um, are. No, it, uh, no, 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 no. I, I no, I, I won't, I, I won't let myself get pissed off by that. But <laughs> I feel like you know, it's, it's, it's it'll just you know, it's uh, like Pokemon Go. It will take its time on the internet, and after a few months or, uh, hopefully, weeks, uh, only a select few people will continue to talk about it, and it will leave my orbit completely.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think. Um, so what you said about NFTs were were was like pretty much like the primer on it um
1: mm-hmm.
0: it really is like uh, what you said about inflated value is totally right um it's kind of like how you could think about items at an auction house or um what you just said like pokemon trading cards things that have a certain um things that a, a certain like social or cultural cachet that is just a sign that is and but for the first time artists themselves can determine the value of their artwork and part of why nfts are uh, attractive to artists is because at least also in pandemic times but also just generally like the streaming we touched upon spotify before but artists really aren't earning much through their own output and touring is the only way that they're making any real money um and and since the pandemic artists have lost out on even that source of revenue and income So NFTs are really aware that like say that I I do waste fellows, right? I could I could sell waste fellows as an NFT to someone, I could determine the price of it, and as part of the Waste Fellows package, I could be like, You will have a digitally authorized like signature imprint of mine saying that this is the only version of this is the only like irreplaceable version of this episode that is now in your ownership like you own the rights to it mm -hmm. and um, everything and I could put other things into that package I could put a transcription of the episode into that package I could put the Mm. artwork of Waste Fellows in that package I could put a manifesto I've written as part of that package and really like it up and give it to them and they own the rights to it and it doesn't mean that Waste Fellows isn't available to anyone else to listen to. It just means that the ownership of Waste Fellows has been transferred from me, the artist, to the owner of this NFT. Um, and mm-hmm. that is why, like, there will be such like inflated prices. Um, it's like, and it's like a collectible. You know, it's like a cool collectible, and that person can go on to sell that token, um, that NFT, to other people for a price that they attach, a price that they determine. So that's why Azealia Banks' mm-hmm. sex tape has gone from audio whatever tape has gone from like seventeen thousand that she sold it for to the person who took like bought it from her, like putting it up for two hundred million. Like it's just mm. completely random. Like it's just it just it's 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 completely random. Um, or maybe not as random, but I wouldn't say random, I would say it's like decentralized. So there's no like one body that's determining how much value should be assigned to anything. It's totally subjective. Um And it seems like the reason why NFTs, like people are like, I was like, why the fuck are people spending that kind of money? But it seems like it's for the metadata. I feel like it's not even the value of the artwork itself. Um, It is for sort of the digital imprint of that artwork. I feel like in this time and age where data is more valuable than money, um, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like a large scale like metadata, like data harvesting operation. Um, which is like the conspiratorial turn that like even Azalea Banks then touched upon because she sold it as a sex tape as an NFT and then she like went on an amazing rant against um, NFTs and basically talked about how they're a psyop, um, like, uh like to make you. Think that you know it's a cool new way to earn money as an artist. But basically what's happening is large scale data harvesting, data mining, and an increased ability for these really shady cryptocurrency um, blockchains to be able to track your information. Now blockchains are supposed to be safe and transparent, but um, I think overwhelmingly also with the aftermath of this um, what's that thing that happened, yeah, with the 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 game stock. Um, Game and um like all of that like i feel like now people have really understood like how the wild wild west of like the stock market or the cryptocurrency market like people are championing it as a way to democratize wealth but actually there seems to be like a really insidious uh like agenda and i think some people are like trying to figure out what that is um, but it's interesting to me that it all like NFTs to me signal how it feels like metadata, like the fact that Grimes is a thirty second like shitty video and it got sold for X amount of money online. Like it's not because the artwork itself is valuable. I I don't know too much about this, but this is what I have yeah. figured out till now.
1: No, no, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, obviously there there are like. Uh, uh lot of sense there but yeah definitely like nfts are not the answer um for anything or anyone um is what i feel mm-hmm.
0: um and like you said
1: like it's a very small bubble right now it's the same usual suspects in those bubbles um that are like grimes got like a like a million dollar canadian arts grant like i'm not sure grimes is uh the primary canadian artist who needs that money i'm pretty sure like that million dollar grant could have gone to two or three people and they would have uh, been overjoyed and produced some beautiful work with it. Uh, So the inequality or inequities, um, structural inequities exist in the NFT market as well. Um, You know, I haven't haven't, um, done a deep dive, uh, but from the online chatter that I see, um, it's again, it's not the answer. It's not a long-term solution. Um, I feel like it is a very small uh, bubble um, and I am not paying attention to it but uh, when it does sort of come to a halt uh, or something bad happens then I will sort of uh, spend some time diagnosing why
0: yeah <laughs> all in retrospect um, Yes. Yeah. thank you so much for coming on board if there was one artist you could recommend that people listen to or just um from South Asia, like who would it be? Or like any any um, any album. You can mention like a okay. as well. I just Okay,
1: uh sure, sure. So slow spin, uh, Karachi. Um I don't want to get that wrong, but slow spin. Um definitely uh I do not know how to pronounce uh, their name but there is a producer from um Nepal called uh, just give me a sec, let me pull up uh, it's Y N Z N dot p um they he yeah, they're on like a consolidate um mm. uh compilation as well so it's easy to find um but y n z n dot uh, slow spin uh and maybe one more i will say um <laughs> this is tough um i'm gonna go with sue yeah, does she have? Does she have like a new music in twenty one? I don't know, 21?
0: but I feel like you could. Oh
1: my god! Oh, you'll have to dip into the the, that, the yeah. retro the retro classics for her. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. Just two then. Uh. Slow spin and YNZ and, and Dot P. Yeah. Um. Check these two. Yeah. Check these two out.
0: Check out the latter. I love Slow Spin. Um. Yeah.
1: slowspin is excellent.
0: I remember Manic by slowspin was a song that I would like every time I heard it I would I would like I'd actually go manic. I was to the back of my head and I become possessed. Yeah. Slow, um,
1: slow is excellent. I would lo- yeah. love to watch um, them play live one day.
0: Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Advait, for coming on board um, and doing this episode. This was so much fun and I learned so much. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for having me.